Yep, the night is young, amen. All right. Uh, quick word. Uh, keep your mask on at all times. Um, please, one family unit in the restroom at a time. Uh, there are hand sanitizer stations. There's one once you walk in, and then there's one between the two bathroom doors right through the back. And I think that's it for housekeeping. Um, uh, thank you all for signing up and for being on time. Uh, we will <clears throat> do what we do, go through Bible saying questions, comments, thoughts. We'll stop for those and feel free to share them. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but in the early church, there was a conflict that had arose, and it was calling for the apostles to give their attention. They were calling for the apostles to give their attention to it. The apostles, however, understood that they had a, a, a different use of their energies and ministry that the Lord expected of them. It was an important distraction. It was something that needed attention. It was a important uh, matter for church unity, but it was not something they should neglect preaching the word for. And in explaining that to the church, they give us this summary statement really for Christian ministry. And that's in Acts 6 verse 4. They say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, just by way of reminder, we're in the middle of a series right now, thinking through the pillars of the pastorate. And these are just five areas uh, that we as elders had spent time thinking and praying through uh, in hopes of kind of help the church understand what God is calling for uh, the uh, pastors of the church to what kind of work he's calling to be involved in so that we can have one mind and one judgment about those so that we can experience the Lord's blessing together and hopefully seek his, his blessing uh, together as well. And so this is hopefully to help shape our, our collective and corporate mind, just about the role of the pastor in the life of a congregation, knowing it's something that God wants us to know something about because he's spoken about it in his word. And it's for our flourishing and for our edification and for our unity. And so last week we thought about preaching the word, preaching the word uh, being a necessary, um, central, tenant of the Christian ministry. And, and this week we want to think about prayer. Who can tell me what prayer is? Communion with God. Excellent. When you say communion, what do you mean by communion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fellowship with God. That's a great answer. Yes, exactly. Fellowship with God. So prayer is an, ex and it's not the whole of our, our communion with God, right? So we would say prayer is specifically a part of a, our speaking communion with God, right? Or we might say talking to God by faith, right? Um, and so as, as an expression of our, of our fellowship, um, and it's important for us to understand that intrinsic in that definition as you're bringing up uh, mr ken is fellowship right this fact that we have a share that there's something about god um and his relationship with us that makes prayer possible right we don't have a general relationship with him like everybody else has there's something we get to fellowship with him not everybody does fellowship with god the devil does not fellowship with god demons do not fellowship with god unbelievers do not fellowship with god 
we get to fellowship with God and prayer is part of how we communicate that communion, right? It's, it's talking with God by faith. We believe who he is. We believe as he's revealed himself to be, and we love who he is. And prayer is something that is made available to us so that we can commune with him in love by faith. Um, and so the, the first thing we must understand just about prayer before we get into pastors praying because again, last week we we're talking about the, the pastoral pillar was preaching all the word. This week we we're talking about the pastoral pillar praying all the prayers. Before we get about how a pastor prays, we just need to understand that Christian prays. And when we understand how a Christian prays, we really just need to understand what prayer is. Prayer is a unique privilege of the people of God. It is a unique privilege of the people of God. Sin separates people from God. If someone does not praise God, they do not pray to God. Uh, in our sin, we remain separated from God, Ephesians chapter 2, right? We're said to be strangers to his promises. So God has given promises for his people that those who do not believe in the Lord, who do not trust in the Lord, do not follow the Lord, they are strangers to that. Uh, we're said to be completely without hope, right? We have no confident certainty of any future good because it says we're without God. So all those who do not have God, who do not love God, who do not believe in God, cannot fellowship with God. They do not have their faith in God. Therefore, they do not pray to God. Uh, in our sin, right, we have no life-giving relationship with God at all. Uh, for the only relationship that those in their sin have is with God as their judge. Uh, the Bible says that in our sin, we're dead. Uh, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus told him, God is not the God of the dead, but the living. But we know in 1 Peter chapter 4, God is said to be the judge of both the dead and the living. Uh, so sinning against God, the true God that is, right? He who is holy, he who is light, who is our very source of life, uh, sinning against him completely changes our relationship with him. So we cannot just be in sin and be communing with God. Uh, this is why 1 John brings up that this is ridiculous for a Christian to think that, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him. We say we commune with him while we walk in darkness. The text says, right, we're lying. We're not practicing the truth, right? Fellowship with God is reserved to people in a right relationship with him. Uh, and in our sin, we don't have a right relationship with God. We're enemies of God, Selah, right? So when we sin against God, we're made to be his enemies, right? And God treats his enemies different than he treats his children, right? Um, and so God is different than us in that he still shows much kindness to his enemies, but it is not, he is not in covenant with them. Uh, he is not in a, a realized, life-giving, loving relationship with them. They do not benefit from his special, loyal love, nor can they claim any of the promises that he gives to his people. This is what makes the gospel such a powerful display of mercy. For when we as sinners who have died in our sin, we're dead in our sin, we're, we're, we're dead like in a tomb dead, we can never climb up as dead people. We can never climb up to where God is. Jesus, in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, Carl, Jesus brings all of God and heaven down to us. So though we are dead in our sins, Jesus came down to the graveyard to let life go free. Though we don't deserve to be near God, God came near to us. And where we had in our sin disqualified ourselves from having any access to the throne of God, we had banned ourselves from his throne. 
Jesus, by dying for our sins, has restored that access to us all. He has given access back to us. Though we don't deserve it, though we could not earn it, he has freely given it because of his own merit. So if, if sin is what keeps us far from God, and it is, only a payment for sin can restore us to having a relationship with him. But none of us can pay for our sins. And none of us can make ourselves live. None of us can cause ourselves when dead to become alive again. But the Lord Jesus can. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And any who believe in him, even if they die, yet shall they live. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus did just that, right? He took our sin on himself. He paid for them in their entirety. By his death, he washed all our sin away. And beloved, he raised from the dead, raised even to the right hand of God, raised to the throne of God where he's sitting now. And in him raising to life, we too, who are united to him by faith, we get to be raised with him. Where he goes, we goes, right? We get to be where he is. All who turn from their sin and believe in his name, they get united to Jesus and his life forever. So his father is now our father, right? Where he now is, we are given free access to. Though we remain on earth, we are given access to the throne of God in heaven where before our sin kept us out, now because of Christ, we're told we can come and not just come nervous, but we're encouraged to come boldly, knowing that we've been given full access to what he has. So one of the, the, the sweetest and most life-giving realities that are made available to the people of God is this freedom for them to come to God and engage with him, interact with him, in a loving, life-giving relationship, even that of a child with its father. And this is only happening because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who believe on his name, the Bible says, right? He gives the right to become the children of God, not born of the flesh, not born of the will of man, not born of the blood, but of God. And if we are children of God, we get to go where our God is. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is us communing with God. Though we're here, it's us communing with him where he is. And this all happens by faith, which is why it's the exclusive privilege of Christians. Someone who does not love God does not get to fellowship with God. They don't get to call on him with a confidence he hears them. Uh, they don't get to have a free invite in an open door to come anytime. Children in the home, you treat children in the home differently than you do your enemies. So if somebody's out to get you, you don't be like, yo, the door's unlocked, come in anytime. Uh, no, you do that with your family. You do that with your kids. Uh, even when they get bigger, you say, oh, you can always come home. Like you can always, there's always got a place for you. Um, and, and this is what the Lord Jesus does. Literally just for the family of God, he says, yo, the door's always open to you. No formalities, come boldly, come and ask. And it's all available to you, his beloved child who believes in his beloved son. Uh, the Christian life is 
marked at the beginning with prayer, and it's carried along being marked by prayer in the journey. So the church, right, is completely a miraculous community. What we just talked about was miraculous. How do dead things become alive? Miraculous, right? How do, how do deaf things begin to hear? That's miraculous, right? How do people who were far off get brought near? That's miraculous. How do people who have severed themselves from the life of God get reconnected forever? That's miraculous. That's what a church is. A church is a completely miraculous community that is created by the supernatural power of God and is sustained by the supernatural power of God. And one of the ways that that is all showcased is in how central God calls for prayer to be in the life of that supernatural community. The supernatural community is to be marked by doing some supernatural work. And few things are more clearly and obviously supernatural than prayer. Prayer is us fellowshipping with God, who we cannot see, we cannot touch, where we cannot access in our bodies, but we can access by faith. We get his attention, we get his ear, and we are pledged and promised all his help. So prayer is a primary way that we show that we know God and that we know that everything we do depends on God. Prayer, just some cursory thoughts, some initial thoughts, some beginning thoughts on prayer. Any questions, comments, and thoughts before we jump in, Francesca? Uh, yeah, it's great. So when an unbeliever, sin actually separates you from God. You are all, you're far from him. No hope, no God. For a believer who's entangled in, it does separate your experience of the goodness of the Lord. So there, you, you will feel a distance. But justification can never be undone, right? Adoption papers will never be put through the shredder, right? So we'll never have to be readopted. So once adopted, we don't get kicked out and then have to get readopted again. Um, so the Bible talks about it's, it's there, 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 there's space to where there can be waywardness. A saint can stray. We all like sheep have gone astray. But the, the reality of our relationship is unchanging. And part of how that will be expressed is that we will always be brought back by God's hand. And so we, our experience of the kindness of the Lord, our experience of the love of the Lord, our experience and awareness of the glory of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord and the comforts of the Lord, that is going to uh, vary uh, based on our obedience, right? Based on our, our trust in his promises, uh, based on us drawing near to him. This is James 4, right? Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. So without drawing near to him in that way, without walking in light as he is, there, there's going to be a distance in the experience of fellowship, but not a change in the reality of our fellowship, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Good question. Any other questions, comments, or thoughts? All righty. Well, um, I have two points uh, this evening, um, and they are... Point number one, prayer is needed for fruitfulness. Point number two is prayer is needed for ministry. And um, again, we want to know how our pastors are to care for the flock. What is work there to do? And there's a couple of different ways we, we hope that this is helpful. One of this is we pray that these pillars can become prayerless for you. 
Um, these are just general things that the Bible says is true for every shepherd. And so you have pastors, and these are things that you can pray for all of your pastors. You could pray for their commitment and their execution and the preaching of the word. You could pray for their prayer life and that they pray as they're intended to. Um, this is also like helps us to understand categorically. We want to pray um, as, a, as a congregation to free up our shepherds to be devoted to these things, prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, again, this is a, a, a life-giving relationship God intends for the prospering of his people. So we just want to try to think uh, well about it um, as we can. Uh, so, so pastors, we know, are to be consumed with the work of the Lord. And therefore, we should know if it's the work of the Lord, it must be done uh, seeking the Lord's help. Uh, the Lord's work only gets done by the Lord's help. Uh, so this, this, this one is kind of like the other leg to the table that Christian ministry sits on. Uh, thinking about preaching uh, the word and the ministry of uh, the ministry of the word, excuse me, and prayer. Uh, those two things, all the Christian ministry hangs on. Uh, so, and that's what we're going to think about this, uh, this evening. Uh, pastors praying all the prayers. Uh, the apostles told the church, listen, that's very important. That should be dealt with. However, it would be wrong for us to do that. We need to be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. Um, and in that, the, the apostles laid before the church a helpful ministry summary for the Christian ministry. Uh, this verse in our English Bibles, at least, has 14 words. And uh, we have a whole ministry statement in those 14 words. And we just want to think a little bit about how essential uh, the role of prayer is in a pastor's calling. Uh, Matthew Henry uh, writes this about prayer in the minister's calling. He says, we must not only minister the word to them, but we must pray for them that it may be effectual. For God's grace can do all without our preaching, but our preaching can do nothing without God's grace. Uh, the apostles were endued with extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost, tongues and miracles. And yet that to which they gave themselves continually was preaching and praying by which they might edify the church. And those ministers without a doubt are the successor of the apostles who give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and such will always be with in such Christ will always be with even to the end of the world. And so not that you need to be convinced of this. I know that you know this already, but it's something for us to remember and to reflect on. Prayer is needed for fruitfulness in the ministry. All that we take up as a church, if it is to be fruitful, if it's to have any real and true and lasting effect, it is going to be pushed out by prayer. Prayer is needed for fruitfulness. Again, this really has nothing to do with the ministry point. This is just prayer is needed for fruitfulness for any Christian. Um, uh, we find in the Bible that prayerfulness was the practice of the Lord Jesus, who is the best shepherd, the chief shepherd, uh, the true senior shepherd, um, the Lord Jesus, who perfectly loved his flock and loved them all to the end. He was a prayerful shepherd. Uh, Mark 1, 34 through 35, we're told that he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Matthew 14, 23, we're told he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. We know that this was typical of the Lord Jesus' ministry, Luke 5. 15 through 17, it says, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. 
and the Lord Jesus is very different than us. If this was us and the crowds come, that's when we get excited. We like to be with the crowds. We be Instagramming, taking pictures, hashtag the Lord's work. The Lord Jesus at this point departed from them. It says he withdrew to a desolate place and prayed. And there's no surprise, right, that Jesus had this kind of lifestyle. Jesus knew his father best, and therefore he spoke with his father most. And I, I, I excuse me, uh, think that we should consider the tremendous blessings that we have recorded in scripture that is in response to an association with or obtained through prayer. If just a, a quick reading of the Bible, one thing you see is how prayer truly is a key that pops, locks, opens, uh, open uh, the, the kind of heavenly things that come down to earth in the moment of an answer to prayer is actually quite astounding. Listen to some of these things, dear saints, and be encouraged in seeking the Lord. Uh, it's interesting that the heavens were opened up and God's voice was clearly heard that this is my son and who I'm well pleased with when you say when Jesus was baptized, but the Bible says he was doing something else while he was baptized. In Luke chapter three, verse 21, it said, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. It's interesting that the transfiguration happened during a time of prayer. Luke 9, 28 through 29. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, Ms. Karen, I'm not saying that's going to happen when you pray. We're just saying this happened when Jesus prayed. It's interesting that Peter's clarity about the role of the Gentiles was given to him in prayer. And this is instructional for us. If there's something in the word that doesn't make sense, or you don't understand how it fits together, you want to know more about the gospel, you want to know more about God's plan for the nations, Peter got clarity through prayer. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 11, it says the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In the Bible, we find that power for ministry, effectiveness in preaching, fruit in the labor, all displayed is coming as a response to prayer. But that's not all. Peter and John, they got released from prison. You know when? When they was praying, Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, which is why we see their insistence, I think, the apostles, that is, that the preachers and leaders be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. They had seen too much. They had tasted too much of the heavenly gift. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Direction was provided through prayer. Acts 22, verse 17. Paul says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Resolve for the will of God was obtained through prayer. 
you, 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 you don't, you're struggling to do what God tells you to do. The Lord Jesus obtained his resolve through prayer. Three times we're told in Matthew 26, the Lord prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Defense from temptation is gained in prayer. Matthew 26, verse 41, the Lord Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is included in the armor for battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, 17 through 19, take the helmet of salvation, Paul says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, both things we use in prayer. And he says, pray, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, which we just read comes through prayer, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Jesus kicks open the door of grace. He sends us down a menu from heaven, and he's like, come and get some and get it all. Buy it all without price. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be open for you. He told his disciple, listen, abide with me. You know how the disciples abide with him? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Pray, ask, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how do the saints remain close with the Lord? How do the saints obtain fruit, much fruit even, that brings God glory, that proves that we're disciples of Christ? It happens in prayer. Prayer is needed for fruitfulness. Any questions, comments, thoughts? Y'all said it's late, let's keep it moving. All right, here we go. Point number two. So because prayer is a special privilege of the people of God, because prayer is how we commune with the Lord by faith, because prayer is needed for, um, for needed for fruitfulness, we should not be surprised that prayer is needed for ministry. If you think about the work that a Christian pastor is called to do and is seeking to take up, you understand that he is called to a vocation that is completely above his pay grade. It is completely and it is totally beyond a pastor's control and manufacturing. There are spiritual things being handled. There are spiritual seed that's being sown. There's a spiritual harvest that's being cultivated. And these spiritual activities require supernatural energy, supernatural light, supernatural watering, supernatural growth. And therefore, we must seek the Lord's blessing for anything supernatural to happen. And that's what a church is. A church, remember, is a miraculous community that is committed to the supernatural. We're committed to glorifying God authentically, which is supernatural. We're committed to growing in Christ's likeness, which is supernatural. We behold his face and are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That's supernatural. Consider how impotent we are to accomplish any of the aims in ministry. 
it's when, <laughs> when you think about what a pastor is aiming for, we can't do any of the stuff we're aiming to do. A pastor is powerless to encourage a soul. You ever tried to change somebody's mind? You can't do that. And there's been a couple of times God may have used you to do that. And if you walked away from when it happened thinking you did that, you're confused about what just happened. No, God let you participate. He did that because you can't do it again. There was a, in the hip hop community, uh, Jay-Z had started a record label and uh, he started with some friends and there was all kinds of tension that had happened between the friends. So he went to leave and one thing he says, they said, I made you. He said, okay, if you made me, make another one. You know, point of that is you can't, you can't just make another one. Uh, we over talking about the Lord talking about, I did that. He's like, oh, do it again. Walk down the street, go home and save everyone you talk to. You know what I'm saying? We can't do this. We can't change anybody's mind. We're powerless to stir up the body to love and good works. We can consider how to do it. We can't make that effectual. We're powerless to raise the affection level in the hearts of the congregation. You can't make people love someone more. We can't make anybody love Jesus more. We're powerless to raise the dead. We're powerless to bring light to darkness. We're powerless to cause eyes to behold the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. Completely powerless to do that. We're powerless to encourage someone. You ever try to encourage someone that won't be encouraged? But when they should be encouraged, like you're literally encouraging them with something that's encouraging and they will not be encouraged. I've, that's happened to me. Uh, we do others earlier. It's like, when the gospel doesn't encourage you, it's not because it's not encouraging. When you consider what you're owed for your sin, when you consider how just the wrath of God is, when you consider how furious his anger is towards sinners and how I've been saved from hell, I'm not going there. I haven't been destined to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that's encouraging. It isn't always encouraging to me that not because it's not always encouraging, but because I can be stupid. I can be stubborn. I can be sinful, dull in hearing. I ain't trying to hear about you. Don't want to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead for you and has you seated with him where he is and blessed you with every spiritual blessing and is coming back pretty soon to get you. You don't want to hear about that right now. And what, what's happening there is you're, you, you, you're realizing I can't encourage you. I can encourage you, but I can't encourage you. We're, we're powerless to convict someone of sin to strengthen someone in their journey. We're powerless to purify and to press on, powerless to save a soul, shape a soul, or seize a soul's atten attention. 
The problem for us is this is our duty. This is what we're called to. We're called to do all that stuff. But it's far beyond the reach of our dominion. That's why Paul was like, who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient for these things? The whole of our work is entirely beyond our capacity to perform. When you think about your pastors, understand their work is entirely beyond their capacity to make effectual. And all the effectiveness possible within the ministry is completely outside a minister's ability to muster up. Grit does not make anyone godly. For all of the work, it must be all of the Lord. He must be sought after. He must be relied upon to secure his glory for our efforts and to expose our emptiness within ourselves. The Lord must be sought for every ounce of effectiveness or else no true spiritual effect will be experienced. Nothing really spiritual is happening. If Brian can do it, it's not God doing it. And, and, and this is why it's, it, we got to be really careful about how we engage with the means of grace. I've had people tell me before, after sermons, they've thanked me for serving, which is always a, a kind thing to say, because oh, you're just really passionate. And I'm just like, I appreciate that that is encouraging to some people. The zeal is encouraging to some people. I appreciate that. Passion doesn't change anybody's heart. That's not what we base ministry on. You have a dude who's not passionate, doesn't seem passionate, as you might seem passionate, but God knows his heart, and he might be quiet. But if he's speaking God's word, and it's God's power, God's able to bring about that change. This is why Paul was so eager for the ministry and for the church, I'm saying, don't start making bad categories. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Paul. He's like, they ain't say no. We ain't say none of y'all. Christ, we proclaim as Lord. We are just your servants, he said. And, and Paul said, this is why when I preach, Paul was like, I don't even come with all the eloquence I could. Now, we read the letters and we're like, word, uh, there was more. He was, this is you holding back. Uh, uh, but his whole thing was like, because I don't want you to start thinking, oh, I like the way he says it. Because he's like, that's not ministry. Ministry isn't us liking the way a minister talks. Ministry is us trusting in God's word. The ministry is under the same law of dependence on Christ as all the rest of the Christian life, like everything that God has made, that he has made good. We're told it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. It's, it's no surprise that the apostles were not just devoted to the word, but were devoted to prayer. When you consider the weight of the word, you see what they're trying to do in the word. Of course, if that's to work, it has to happen by prayer. They are two streams of empowering the church's edification, and without the one, the power stops up. I'm going to give you a series of quotes from 
dead faithful pastors that have been encouraging to me. Uh, the first is Charles Bridges, 1830. Uh, Carl, you've heard all these, I think. Yep. Uh, a minister in 1830 named Charles Bridges wrote a book called The Christian Ministry. And he wonderfully wrote about the necessity of prayer for the effectiveness of the minister. And again, it's important that we understand what the minister's works to be. So A, that we can receive that work, we can be supportive in that work, we can pray for that work. So even these pillars, let these be a, a prayer guide for you guys, things that you're always praying for your pastors. Listen to what he says about this. He talks about why prayer is, is needed for the effectiveness of ministry. He says, for our hearts, talking about the minister's hearts, for our hearts to be tender, tenderly affected by the state, he's talking about of the church, that our preaching may flow from love for their souls and from hearts powerfully excited by zeal for our master's glory, that we may be assisted to deliver our sermons in a suitable frame, preserved from the influence of the fear of man and with a simple earnest dependence on the divine blessing and that the Lord may preach our sermons to our own hearts, both in the study and in the moment of delivering them. Prayer is needed for the effectiveness of the minister. Well, that's not just what's needed for the ministers. He goes on to talk about why it's needed for those the ministers minister to. He says, we need to pray for them as well as preach to them, to bring our ministry on their account before God and to entreat for them that their attention may be engaged and their hearts open to receive our commission, that all hindrances of prejudice, ignorance, indifference, worldliness, and unbelief may be removed, that the spirit of humility and simplicity, sanctification and faith may be granted to them in a word that it may please God to give to all his people an increase of grace, to hear meekly his word, to receive it with pure affection, to bring forth the fruits of the spirit. He says, nothing will give such power to our sermons as when they are sermons of many prayers. The best sermons are lost unless they are watered by prayer. Just as an aside, this is pray. I hope you pray every week for whoever's cooking the meal Sunday. Lord, help them to chef that right. Help them to cut it straight. Praying for our brothers and sisters. Even the things, those are things that he was like to pray for. These are things that we're like are always on our mind. Oh God, help us to be attentive. Help us to receive it with pure affection. Help us to hear the word with meekness. Allow us all to increase in grace. Help us to listen with the spirit of humility and simplicity sanctify us, grow our faith. Help the preacher, I like what he says, to preach with no fear of man. Lord, help him to not be discouraged by none of our faces. <laughs> help him to be simple and in earnest dependence on you. Assist him, fill him with love as he addresses us. I trust him says the best sermons are, are lost also water by prayer. That is both the pastor's prayers, I think, and the congregations. And then he talks about the role that prayer plays in the actual sermons. He says the highest style of a preacher, therefore, is that he gives himself to prayer. There's a lot of talk about styles of preaching. 
right? What people like, what people don't like, what was clear, what was confusing. One of the things this, this, this older brother of ours says, yeah, the best style we want is one that's depending on God when he's talking. On this account, he says, some inferior preachers are more honored than others of their more talented brethren. For sermons obtained chiefly by meditation and prayer are weighty and powerful, while those of far higher intellectual character by the neglect of prayer are unblessed. Uh, there's a documentary on Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and there's this sweet old lady who used to go to, does everybody know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is? He's a, he was a preacher in England. Um, I think he died, what, 20 years ago, 30, 15 years ago? I don't remember how long ago he died. Um, but he had a, he, the Lord just gave him a, a significantly influential ministry in, a, in London. But there was this lady, she's, she's, a, she's an older lady. She had been there for a long time at his church. And she was talking about listening to him preach. And it's, it's one of the, it was one of the sweetest things I've seen in terms of, she goes in there, she says, yes, yeah, so, she has a little accent. I'm not going to do it. I might do it. So she's in there. She said, oh, you would just listen to him and the spirit. God was so, was so thick, and the word would just be coming. You felt like God was just talking directly to you. It was just, and she was doing this with her hands. You could tell she just went there in her mind. She went there. She said, "Oh, it was, it was so glorious." She's talking about good preachers. She said, and then she said, there's, "There's some other preachers who, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't marked of God that way. And they might preach, and you would think, oh, he's on his own today." Pastor never wants to be on his own. And you should never want a preacher who's on his own. William Grinnell writes, if God dropped not down his assistance, we write with a pen that has no ink. If any in the world need walk dependently upon God more than others, the minister is he. Charles Spurgeon writes, of course the preacher is above all others distinguished as a man of prayer. He prays as an ordinary Christian, else he's a hypocrite. He prays more than ordinary Christians, else he's disqualified for the office he has undertaken. It would be wholly monstrous for a man to be highest in office and lowest in soul, first in station and last in life. But beyond all these wonderful and helpful quotes from our fellow creatures, we do have the best quote from the creator of us all. Why must prayer be an essential aspect of the ministry? Well, the Lord Jesus himself tells us that apart from me, you can do nothing. And given all a minister is to do, well, that should shape all a minister is to pray for. And that's why we say praying all the prayers. What kind of prayers is a pastor to be praying? And we say to that, he's to pray all the prayers, all kinds of prayers. All those things that all those ministers just listed, those are all kinds of things that a minister's to be praying for. Uh, so we as elders, we, we certainly uh, always pray in our meetings. We also seek to regularly pray for all the members of the church, uh, but we carry you in our prayers all the days. In, in that sense, it's, it's like an Exodus 28 where you have Aaron's ephod and God had commanded him to put two onyx tablets on the shoulders, and behind one onyx tablet, he was to write six names of the tribes of Israel. 
On the other tablet, he was write the other six names of the tribes of Israel. And this is so that he would bear their names on him as he went before the Lord. And that's what a pastor is. He carries the church so that he can cast their cares on the Lord. Uh, and we're given in the Bible, there's a crazy range of stuff we got to be praying for. Think about what we need to have done. Uh, like if we're talking about the supernatural stuff that we're here for. We're talking about the supernatural growth. We're talking about that God fruit, the stuff we need God's help for. There's all kinds of prayers pastors are to be praying and that they need to be focused on praying. They need to be devoted to praying. Uh, in James 5, 14, we're told there's the prayers for the sick, right? And these are just, I've restricted this list just to things that Paul has, or in the Bible is connected to ministers, right? But there's the prayers for the sick in James 5, 14. There's the prayer of thanks we find in Ephesians 1. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. <clears throat> there's prayers uh, as he continues in that chapter <clears throat> for <clears throat> the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, Nellian, this is the stuff you want your pastors praying for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to what he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places how do we grow how do we grow in knowing the knowledge of him how do we grow in our hearts being enlightened how do we grow in knowing the hope that he's called us to how do we grow in knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. How do we grow in knowing the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? How do we grow in understanding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promised power that says attends all of his people? How do we know about the, those heavenly places and what's up there? Yes, part of it is teaching, but part of it is praying for it. He kept going, same letter. There's prayers for their rootedness in the love of Christ. Ephesians 3, 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, that's stuff we cannot do. I cannot, I can't take power and put it in your inner being, but God can strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints and to know uh, what is the um, strength to come with all the saints, excuse me, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have you grown in your love for Christ? Have you grown in your understanding of the dimensions of Christ's love for you? It is connected to how much of your Bible you've learned. It is connected to good sermons you've heard about it. It is connected to God using teachers to help you connect the dots. 
but it is also connected to answers to prayer. People have prayed this for you. Prayers for the church's maturity, like we find in Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Or how about prayers for gospel fruit, protection from the devil, sanctification by the word, being kept from worldliness, prayers for our love and for our unity in Christ, prayers for our witness as his people and our union with the triune God, all of which are things that we've obtained because the Lord Jesus prayed these things for us in what we call his high priestly prayer in John 17. There are so many things our souls need, so much to be watchful against, so much to seek the Lord for and to produce gratitude to the Lord for and pleading with the Lord for. And we want all our prayers to be praying for all of it. The saints are to be praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and supplication. And when we think about what we're trying to accomplish, of course, there's going to be all kinds of prayers. Praying all kinds of prayers, all kinds of supplications. And, and if a pastor is going to be faithful, they, they need to be praying for that. We don't we need people, pastors, who will just pray these things for us. Again, God has assigned some men in our number to, hey, care for the flock. The part I want you to do is just tell them the Bible and pray for them the Bible. There's so much that we can have through prayer. At least the apostles' mind, there's so much we may not have if we don't give ourselves to prayer. And saints, it's just a reminder that some of a pastor's labors are not obvious or known by you. And that's fine. Because some of their labor is important struggle work on your behalf in their prayer closet, carrying with you, carrying you them with them throughout their day as they go on walks or as they go on drives or as they sit writing for sermons. I cannot tell you how often y'all's faces and your burdens come to our mind as we're readying to preach. And we seek to lift you before the Lord and there's much to lift before the Lord in that. Listen, pastors cannot fix everything. That is not what Jesus called them to do. But pastors can pray for everything. And they should. 